Our scripture reading today is from Romans chapter 9, um, verse 1 through the first half of 6. Um, verse 1 through the first half of 6. Um, it's also printed in your bulletin on page 11. If you are willing and able, please stand for the reading of God's word. And before we read, I'll remind you that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Romans 9, 1 through 6a. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race according to the flesh is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Adam. If you are a guest with us this morning, you are joining us as we are in the middle of our study through the book of Romans. And we have just finished chapter 8. We spent several weeks in chapter 8. Some consider that one of the greatest chapters in the Bible. Romans 8 begins with no condemnation and ends with no separation for those who are in Christ. So Romans 8 chapter 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then the chapter ends, verses 38 to 39, Paul writes, for I am sure That neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. No condemnation and no separation. But now, we come to chapter 9, and verse 3 indicates that God's people from the Old Testament, Israel as a whole, is both condemned and separated, accursed and cut off from Christ. That is a big problem. What about the word of God? What about all the things that we just saw in Romans chapter 8? What about God's promise to Israel and his covenant? I will be your God and you will be my people, an everlasting covenant with you and your children after you. Has the word of God, the promise of God, failed? If the word of God fails, then all the hope, all the comfort that we received, that we rejoiced in from Romans chapter 8 is gone. Well, Romans 9, in some ways, is written to assure us that Romans 8 indeed is true. And so Paul quickly says in verse 6, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. Beloved, Romans 8 is true. Every word of God proves true, and God will be faithful to his people. But this is not always easy for us to see or understand. 
And in fact, this next section of Romans, chapters 9 through 11, very important, but also difficult to understand. But it will show us how the gospel fulfills God's plan for Israel. As we consider, what about Israel in the past? What about Israel in the present? What about Israel in the future? And as Paul answers these questions, he goes deep. He goes deep into the doctrines of divine election, unconditional election, divine sovereignty, and we will address those matters, Lord willing, in the, couple, in the coming weeks as we make our way through this section, Romans 9 through 11. But today we begin with this opening, verses 1 through 5. And here we see the gravity of Paul's anguish and Israel's rejection in light of the glory of Christ. And when I use that word gravity, I'm using the definition of extreme importance, seriousness. This is a weighty issue. It's not a light matter. The gravity the utmost seriousness of Paul's anguish and Israel's rejection in light of the awesome glory of Christ. And beloved, as I have studied this passage, I have been praying two things for us as a church family, and they may seem in opposition. I pray that our sorrow will increase and our joy will increase. That our sorrow, when we consider those who are cut off from Christ, will sense the weight of that. And it will move us to compassion and love and prayer and proclamation of Christ. But I also pray that our joy will increase when we consider the glory of Christ, that we are not cut off from him. But we are united to Christ and it will move us to rejoice in Christ and to praise Jesus. So let's begin with the gravity of Paul's anguish. The first thing we notice is that Paul is telling the truth. Do you hear how how much or how often he emphasizes that in the very first verse? Five times he makes note of it. Listen again, verse one. I'm speaking the truth. So there's first, plain as day. I'm speaking the truth. Not just the truth, the truth in Christ and his union with Christ. Then third, he says, I am not lying. Then fourth, my conscience bears me witness. But not just that he has a clear conscience, but that bears him witness in the Holy Spirit. His conscience is in line with the testimony of the Holy Spirit. So five times he emphasizes, I'm telling the truth. What's the purpose of this? Couldn't he have just started chapter 9 with verse 2? I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. I don't think so. Not without causing, you might call it, worship whiplash. Paul has just taken us to the heights of Mount Everest in praising God and the assurance of God's love and all the blessings that we have in Romans chapter 8. And now he wants us to know, as wonderful as that is, we cannot simply stay there, content to rejoice in God and all his goodness to us. We must remember his promises to Israel. We must know that his word has not failed and we are to care about the lost sheep who need to be found and brought into the family. And beloved, this is the cause, this is the gravity of Paul's great anguish. Look again at verse 2 and 3. He says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. 
Paul is distraught. Day after day after day, and it does not stop. He calls it unceasing anguish. Over what? What is it that breaks his heart? Beloved, what is it that breaks your heart? Paul cries out, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Paul is heartbroken. He has unceasing anguish because so many of his fellow Israelites are accursed. They are cut off from Christ. And so Paul longs to do what only Jesus could do, to be cursed in the place of another. If he could, he would. But he knows that only Christ can redeem us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. This is the message of the gospel that the Israelites have rejected. They had learned that God created us to be with him, but that our sins have separated us from God. That these sins cannot be removed by good works No matter how good we are, how much we obey God's word, how righteous we try to be, we cannot atone for our sin. So God in his mercy and his great love for us sent his own son, Jesus, paying the price for sin. Jesus died and rose again. So now everyone, everyone and anyone who repents of their sin and trusts in Jesus has eternal life. And this life with Jesus starts now And lasts forever. But the Israelites have rejected this gospel, this good news. They had rejected Jesus. John tells us in his gospel, chapter 1, Jesus came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. And so they and all who reject Jesus Christ today, they are accursed and cut off from Christ. To be accursed is to be damned. Paul describes it like this in 2 Thessalonians 1. Speaking of those who reject Christ, he says they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. That's the accursed part, the damnation part. But it's not only that. Then he goes on to say, away from the presence of the Lord. Cut off from Christ. Jesus himself described it like this in Matthew 25. Speaking of those He says, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Beloved, do we truly understand the gravity of Paul's anguish? What a serious, what a weighty matter this is. Not only, perhaps not primarily, that people who reject Jesus are cursed, but that they are cut off from Christ They do not know Jesus. They are not united to Christ. Remember those glorious truths we saw in Romans 5 through chapter 8. The glory of our union with Christ. What joy that brings us. They do not have that joy. They do not have Jesus for them as God's true prophet to bring the word of God to them. They do not have Jesus for them as God's appointed high priest who intercedes for them to cleanse them from their sin by his blood shed on the cross. They do not have Jesus for them as God's anointed king to conquer their sinful desires, to rule and defend them, 
to restrain and conquer all their and his enemies. They do not know Jesus as their savior to deliver them from this eternal damnation. And they do not have Jesus as their friend, their faithful and kind and compassionate friend. Oh, beloved, have you never heard a believer say, if I didn't have Jesus, I don't know how I could make it. Think of it. And Peter's worst failure, the worst moments of his life, what did he do? He looked, after denying Jesus three times, he looked and he saw Jesus. And Jesus looked at him with love so that his life would not be defined by his worst failure, by the rooster, but instead it would be defined by the cross and the empty tomb. Those who are cut off from Christ do not have this redemption. Think of Mary and her worst grief when her brother Lazarus had died. Who came to her? Who did she see? Jesus. He wept with her and he spoke words of comfort to her, brought life from death. But those who are cut off from Christ do not have this comfort, this hope. Think of Stephen and his worst pain as he's being stoned to death. To whom did he turn? Who did he see? Jesus, standing at the right hand of God, ready and eager to receive his spirit into his eternal presence, to be with him in glory. Those who are cut off from Christ will be turned away. Beloved, you who know the Savior, this Jesus, he is your king. He is your comforter. He is your savior. He is your friend. You are not cut off from him. You are united to him and you rest in him and you rejoice in him. Amen? But do we see how awful it is to be cut off from Christ? Do you understand why Paul would say, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart for my kinsmen who are accursed and cut off from Christ? Perhaps like Paul, we recognize we cannot take their place. But what can we do? What can we do? Beloved, we can pray in the Spirit. And Paul will mention this in Romans chapter 10. He will say, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. So we pray for them. We pray by name, and I would encourage you, if this is not a practice in your life, to begin today. Think of it. What kinds of things are worth praying for every day? Certainly, this is one of them. We can pray in the Spirit. We also can praise God, not just with our lips, but more here with our lives. To praise God is to worship God. And Paul will say later in Romans 12, in view of God's mercy, we are to offer our very lives as a living sacrifice, a life of godly obedience, primarily to glorify God, yes and amen, but also to point others to Jesus. Colin mentioned this in our last evening service as he makes his way through through 1 Peter chapter 2, how we live as citizens here on earth can make a difference for who enjoys life with Jesus in heaven. 1 Peter 2, 11 through 12, Paul says, or Peter says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. And that that word for Gentiles, he's referring to people who are cut off from Christ. So keep your conduct among those who are cut off from Christ honorable. Why? 
So when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That they too also might be united to Christ and glorify God when Christ comes again. So we can praise God and then also we can love people. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he washed his disciples' feet. Why did he do that? He did that to set an example for us that we are to do as he has done and not primarily in the specific act of washing one another's feet, but of humbly loving Lovingly serving others in practical ways. We are to love others as Jesus has loved us. And by this, they will know that we love Jesus. And by this, we pray, they will come to love Jesus as well. And then finally, we can proclaim Christ. And Paul mentions this in Romans chapter 10, where he says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So friend, today, if you have come and you do not know this Jesus, you do not know his love for you, today, if you call on the name of the Lord, if you come to Christ, you will be saved. But Paul says, how will they call on him in whom they've not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So beloved, we all together proclaim Christ from a heart of love and a life of service. This is the way. Beloved, this is the way that God brings people into his family today. This is the way that he saves people from this damnation that causes Paul such anguish. This is the way that he unites people to Christ. So I pray that the Holy Spirit will conform us to the image of Jesus, that we will share in Paul's anguish for those who are cut off from Christ, that it will increase our prayers, our compassion, our love for those are currently cut off from Christ. The gravity of Paul's anguish here is not only because there are people who are cut off from Christ, but his sorrow is much greater because he's thinking of the Israelites, God's chosen people. It is, it is God's very chosen people who are cut off from Christ. And this is why he then shows us the gravity of Israel's rejection. And the way he does this as he shows us how privileged Israel was to help us see how tragic her condition is as accursed and cut off from Christ. We see this in verses four through five. Take a, we'll take a brief look at each privilege that Paul mentions. And he begins by saying, they are Israelites. And this is first because it carries with it all the other benefits. To be an Israelite is to have all the blessings that follow. The Israelites were the chosen people of God in the Old Testament. God reiterates this in Deuteronomy chapter 7 where he says, speaking to the Israelites, you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. These were the Israelites, the ones God had chosen. And then Paul lists seven things that belong to them. And as we look over these briefly, Beloved, for you who are in Christ, these belong to you today. So there's joy and what we have in Christ. There's sorrow and what those who are apart from Christ miss out on. But hear these. He begins with the adoption. The nation of Israel was God's chosen people through whom he would bring salvation to the world. 
They were not naturally his people. He adopted them. He chose them, brought them into his family. This adoption as sons of God through Jesus Christ now came to individuals. It came to us. And then the rest of these privileges really flesh out what it means, what this adoption includes. So he says the glory. So in the Old Testament, this was the visible display of the very presence of the Holy God. We began our service that welcome. I said we come to meet with the living God. Well, in the Old Testament, they saw the visible sign, the cloud by day, the fire by night. Or when the Ten Commandments were given at Mount Sinai, this dark cloud with thunder and lightning coming down later would fill the tabernacle. It would rest over the Ark of the Covenant in the most holy place. And ultimately, this glory is indeed the glory of Christ, for Jesus himself is the fullness of God's glory. So in Luke chapter 2, when Simeon, who had been waiting for this promise to be fulfilled, he sees the baby Jesus and he says, I have seen a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory for your people Israel. They had the glory. They also had the covenants. Because God chose Israel, he called Abraham. He began with an Israelite and he made a covenant, a sacred bond sealed in blood. He made this covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. In Genesis chapter 12, he said, the Lord said to Abram, go, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God begins this covenant. He affirms it with Moses, with David. He promises to fulfill a new covenant in Jesus Christ. They had the covenant. They also had the giving of, giving of the law. I mentioned earlier at, at Mount Sinai in the giving of the Ten Commandments. And in Romans chapter 3, Paul asks the question, what advantage has the Jew? And he says, much in every way. Why? To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God, the very word of God, which was designed to point them and us to Christ today. They had the law. They had the worship, these religious ceremonies at the tabernacle, and then the temple, they were given the sacrifices, these holy days, the Passover. Today, we might think of gathered worship. That's why we say this is the best place to be on the best day of the week. We might think of the sacraments of baptism, the Lord's Supper. But in the regular rhythm of their lives, the Israelites all throughout the Old Testament, the regular day in and day out of their lives, they were physically involved and in learning how a sinful people could draw near to a holy God. And so they learned the gravity, the seriousness, the weight of sin. They saw that there must be atonement for sin, a sacrifice, the shedding of blood. An innocent substitute could die in place of the sinner. An acceptable sacrifice to God. And that all pointed them and points us to the ultimate sacrifice to come. They looked forward, but we look back, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. They had the worship. They also had the promises. All the promises of God, but especially the promise of redemption through his coming Messiah. We read one of those in Micah 5 for our Pass the Peace passage today. Another one is in Isaiah 59, 20. God says, a redeemer will come to Zion. To those in Jacob who turn from transgression, declares 
the Lord. He had told them over and over and over again, the Messiah is coming. They also had the patriarchs, the fathers of the faith, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And God revealed himself to these men in special ways. He worked through them to call out and bless his people and to bless the nations. Their descendants would indeed be the heirs of God. What privileges God gave to Israel. What blessings. Israel truly lacked nothing. The nation was enriched with every spiritual blessing, with every advantage, every opportunity to know and love God. And then Paul concludes by saying, and Christ came from them. From their race according to the flesh is the Christ. What a privilege. What an honor to Israel that the Messiah and Savior of the world would be born Jewish according to the flesh. But what a tragedy that this Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, came to his own people and his own people did not receive him. Now, as I mentioned earlier, Paul will explain this in more detail in Romans 9 through 11 to show us that indeed the word of God, the promises of God have not failed. That God will indeed save a remnant of Israel and that this tragedy, God will use this tragedy as part of his plan to bring salvation to the nations, to us. And that also Israel will be brought to salvation. So at the end of chapter 11, verse 26, we'll say in this way, all Israel will be saved. And we'll see that. And hopefully we'll learn what all Israel means. But I'll give you a homework assignment until we get to there. So over the next several weeks, read Romans 9 through 11 over and over and over again. I won't ask you to memorize it this time, all right. But read it over and over and over again. And look for every time Israel is mentioned. And in the context, what does it appear to be referring to? So we'll come back to that, Lord willing, in the weeks to come. But for now... I want to close this morning by looking at how the gravity of Israel's rejection is made worse because of the glory of Christ. The glory of Christ. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. And in that one brief sentence... We see four aspects of the glory of Christ. We see his humanity. We see his deity. We see his supremacy. And we see his praiseworthiness. So we see his humanity. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ. Beloved, Jesus was a true human being. A descendant of Abraham according to the flesh. Jesus is a real person who lived at a real time in history. That means... Just as you see me right now, you hear me right now, I see you, I hear you when we talk with one another, we touch when we shake hands during Pass the Peace. People saw Jesus, they heard him, they touched him, real flesh and bone. So beloved, you who know and love Jesus, you have a friend, you have a savior, you have a prophet, a priest, a king who knows what it's like as a real person, to be hungry, to be thirsty, to be tired. You have a Savior who knows what it's like to experience grief, 
and sorrow. To be sad to the point of weeping over the death of a loved one. You have a Savior who knows what it's like to experience physical pain. To be mocked and scorned and rejected. You have a Savior who knows what it's like to be tempted to sin. Beloved, God himself took on flesh. Jesus took on flesh to sympathize and to save. To sympathize and to save. Jesus is truly man and he is also truly God. This is the deity of Christ. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God. Paul declares it plainly, clearly. Jesus is God. Now we do say this is miraculous and it is mysterious. How can Jesus be both God and man? How can he be truly human and truly divine? How can, be, how, how can God be one and yet three? One God and three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's no way that we can explain this that makes perfect sense to everyone. Why? Because it's not natural. It is supernatural. Amen. We proclaim it because it's what the word of God proclaims. We proclaim it because it is true and it is glorious. Jesus is God. God in the flesh, God in human form. Some say God with skin on. Jesus is the very image of the invisible God, the radiance of the glory of God. So Paul states this as a simple fact, something that is true, something that God has revealed to him. Paul himself has come to see that this is indeed true. But he didn't always think it was true. There was a time in his life when he didn't believe it to be true, when he denied the deity of Christ, when he actively sought to persecute anyone who did believe this. So what changed his mind? His eyes were open supernaturally to the glory of Christ. And that is the only way anyone will ever believe that Jesus is God. God himself must intervene in their lives and open their eyes to behold the glory of Christ. And that's what happened with Paul. He saw the risen Christ with his very own eyes. And God revealed to him not just doctrine, not just truth on a page. He revealed to him the beauty and the goodness and the truth of Jesus. And Paul knew Jesus is God. He is alive, risen from the dead. And so Paul also came to see the supremacy of Christ. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all. Over all, without exception. Jesus is supreme over all. All things were created by him and for him. So every star and every planet was created by him and for him. He's the one who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name, because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. The oceans, the seas, the rivers, the streams, created by him and for him. The animals of all kinds, all shapes and sizes, created by him and for him. The plants were created by him and for him. And recently, one of our ruling elders, Mike Ivanko, was walking with his young grandson and explaining this to this young boy. And the young boy looked at his pop-up and said, yes, pop-up, the grass bows down to worship him. Amen. Amen. Jesus Christ is supreme over all. 
Beloved, you were created by him and for him. And so you are not your own. You were bought with a price. You belong body and soul and life and in death to your faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He is supreme over all and he rules over everyone and everything, including you. And the goodness and the beauty of the supremacy of Jesus is that in his supremacy as king over all, beloved, it is such a good thing that righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. It is such a thing that, such a great thing for us that King Jesus is good and loving and wise and kind. But the goodness and beauty of his supremacy is that in his supremacy as king over all, he can cause, he can both cause all things to work together for the salvation of his people, for your salvation, and at the same time, cause all things to work together for his own glory. Now Paul states this as a simple fact. And from their race, I mean, if you're reading quickly, you could miss it. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all. But he can't leave it at, leave it at that. It leads him to praise. For Jesus, our Savior, is praiseworthy over all. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Amen. Blessed forever or forever praised. So one pastor says of this section, when you receive Jesus the Messiah, you receive the one who is over all, God, blessed forever. The deepest tragedy is to fail to see that the Messiah Jesus is God. And the highest privilege is to know God incarnate and spend an eternity seeing so many new and wonderful things about him that you will never cease to bless him. This is why Paul says that Jesus is blessed forever. Beloved, think of it. Our very own eyes will never stop seeing new glories in Christ our Savior. And our hearts will never grow weary of savoring what we see. And our mouths will never tire of singing what we savor. Amen? Amen. Well, one of my aims, I told you at the beginning, one of my prayers today is that we would see and behold the glory of Christ and be moved to praise him. And in a moment, we will do that. We will sing praise to Jesus together. But beloved, I am moved to praise him in closing. I want to do it, to proclaim and praise Jesus right now. This is what I believe about preaching. I believe preaching is evangelistic, expository exaltation. And this is what I mean by that. Evangelistic, it means when we preach, we preach Christ. We preach the gospel. The good news of Christ come to save sinners. It's also expository, which means the point of the passage is to be the point of the sermon. The things you hear me say, you should be able to look at the passage and say, that's where he got that from. And if you can't, you should ask me about it. And I'd be glad to talk with you about it. But it's not only expository, it's also exaltation with a U, which means preaching is worship. 
that as I preach, I worship the God I proclaim. And so I think it is fitting for me today to close this sermon by doing that. I want to share with you, I have done this before, some of you have heard me share this before, I want to close by sharing with you words from a reformed hip-hop artist. That is not me. So I am not going to rap. I'm just going to recite his word, Shailin. And it's fittingly titled, Praise Jesus. So let us praise Jesus. All praise to the name of the Savior who reigns. He's taken our blame. Embraced all our shame. He's raised from the grave. So his fame we proclaim. Salvation by grace through faith in his name. Jesus, the beautiful and blessed son. Immutable, that means unchanging. Immutable, majestic one. Who was resurrected from the grave. For the depraved he paved the path for some. Place faith in his passion, son, be saved from the wrath to come. He's fabulous. His status is immaculate. I'm lacking the vernacular to adequately capture his glory. Did you catch that? Such good words. I'm lacking the vernacular to adequately capture his glory. Incomparable, unconquerable, unstoppable, absolutely phenomenal, all-powerful. No obstacle he can't navigate. He's God and so he fascinates with him. It's impossible to exaggerate. Shall we try? Lord of all continents. Source of all consciousness. His compliments are the consequence of his accomplishments. Every sphere of life, he's the Lord of it. And every other power is either fraudulent or subordinate. At first... We snubbed him. Now his vessels of mercy love him. Beyond vocabulary, his actions vary. His wrath is scary. All his adversaries are imaginary. He has no competitors. Ask Nebuchadnezzar. He'll mess you up. Have you eaten grass? You can bet he's amazing. He takes in blatant, flagrant vagrants. Breaks them, remakes them, and shapes them to hate sin. Beloved, that is what he has done with every one of us. If you are united to Christ today, if you love Jesus, it's because you were a blatant, flagrant, vagrant. And Jesus came to your life, and he broke you, and he remade you, and shaped you to hate sin. And that's why we cry out, Jesus, there's no better name that'll never change, and he'll forever reign while we spread his fame. So all praise to the name of the Savior who reigns, This Savior, this one who is supreme over all, he is the one who has taken my blame. He's embraced my shame. He's raised from the grave, so his fame we proclaim. Salvation by grace through faith in his name. Amen. 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 Praise Jesus.